you can have all the Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio podcast with our new app. Just search your app store, uh, Apple, Android, Kindle, we don't care what you use. Search the app store for Explorations Early Learning, download the app, give it a try. Cue the accordion. I've always wanted to say that. Kick back and get comfy while hosts Heather Winnig and her co-hosts from the Early Childhood Nerd Collective explore ways to cause and effect. Dig that funky accordion. Hi there, welcome to our podcast. This one's called Cause and Effect. I'm Heather Winnig, the uh, That Early Childhood Nerd. Forgot who I was. And I'm joined today with Ben from the Early Childhood Nerd Collective. You want to say anything, Ben? Hi, uh, my name is Ben Plant. Um, assistant Director at the YMCA Center for Children and Families in Bloomington, Indiana. I've uh, been in early childhood for about 10 years, uh, working on a bunch of different projects. I'm just happy to be here and really <laughs> excited to talk about what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, yeah. So Ben and I see each other at conferences about twice a year, maybe, uh, despite being in the same state. So I've roped him in to work with me more closely on this so that we have reason to keep talking between conferences. Um, so we're going to talk about a quote from Margie Carter and Deb Curtis on this episode. So if you haven't listened before, um, the nerds pick a quote that is meaningful to them or that they think has a lot of value to discuss in an early childhood context. And we're going to talk about what sta- what really uh, stands out to us in that quote. And um, we'll try to find some ways that you can take that and make it real in your work and your interactions with young children. Um, so this one, we'll just go ahead and start with say, and get into the quote. So um, it is, a critical aspect of becoming a coach for children's learning is the belief that children are capable and deserving of the skills and information adults have power over. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> I love it so much. I love, I love everything they write, but this quote really like slapped me in the face when I read it first. Um, so many elements of it. Is there some place you'd want to start? I, again, this one really also just really grabbed me when you we were really like yeah. talking about different quotes and stuff like that. Um, well, I, we can just go ahead. I, I, I might have even gone a little bit further uh-huh. and changed critical aspect to the most important aspect. Yeah, you did um, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so why why do you think that? Start there. Well, it's a conversation of of power, of being deserving, of it, it encapsulates everything we should be thinking of and we should be doing um, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. It's just right there. Um, we have yeah, and like in no here. no uncertain terms, yeah. <laughs> this is how it is. Um, so I, I think one of the reasons that it really stood out to me um, is, is it, it puts our job in a different perspective than I think some other things I've read have done. It's, it puts it in a lot more serious perspective. Like We have a massive responsibility in our work with young children. Um, so I asked you if you felt like being a coach was different than being a teacher since they used 
um, the language that it, we were being a coach for children's learning. Mm -hmm. So um, what do you think about that one? Um, so there's a lot of similarity, and I think a lot of people who I think fit better into coaches or teachers get called the other thing. Mm -hmm. um, both teach skills and information, um, but th there's more to being like a coach that's helping practice mm -hmm. over and over. There's more to being a coach that's about teaching a team rather than rather than a teacher being teaching just an individual person more mm -hmm. so. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, there's a lot in semantics. I think the two are relatively interchangeable, but I, I do think the word coach does change kind of how you see it, how you think about approaching mm -hmm. being a te teacher, quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's hard I felt to talk like, about teaching. Right. <laughs> I felt like there was a different power dynamic. Mm -hmm. Coaching seems to me a little bit more side by side a little less, um, I'm the keeper of all the good information, and I'll, I'll pour it into you when you sit in circle time with me. Um, but also just what you talked about, that idea of facilitating practicing and being there as we help them practice things as often as they need to practice things. I think that's a much different um, piece of coaching as opposed to teaching in my mind. I see a teacher having a, a curriculum and point by point by point by point and not necessarily always going back. Whereas uh -huh. a coach, you know, they, you practice and then you build and then you practice what you practice the first time and then the second time. And it's, it's more of a, more of a practicing kind of thing. Yeah. And I think too, with teaching, the goal is to get the whole class mm -hmm. from point A to point B. And with coaching, I think you have to look more specifically. Each person kind of has a role, and each position plays a different role on a team, if you want to go deeper into that analogy. Um, and they'll each have different skills, and we acknowledge that, and we work that into our system. Um, so I think that's another way that coaching maybe is a more effective way to think about what we're doing mm -hmm. than teaching, because we want to we wanna be looking at um, individual needs and skills and adjusting as we go you know sometimes the play's not working and we got to send in a new play or revamp everything at halftime and um so that's a big piece of it too if the plan's not working it's okay to scrap the plan and go a different direction when you're coaching yeah maybe if you're teaching so. that's a little harder yep. <laughs> um and you talked about having to work as a team in a classroom yep well i mean just between too. not and, and i want to make sure that people re realize that children are part of your team you know everyone in that classroom is important to everyone else and how everything happens and how everything works mm -hmm. uh, and so approaching it not just from like oh I, there's me my co-teacher and assistant and we're a team overseeing these children it's, you can't if you think about that if you think about it from that perspective you're losing something which yeah. is how do you get the children to be part of your team? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so have you experienced this, uh, talking about teaching teams? So when I was a lead teacher, I did, I did some classroom teaching for several years, typically with one- and two-year-olds. Um, I was a terrible lead teacher because I felt like I was the only one with value for the team, and everyone else would just do what I wrote down on the plan, but I was really the one 
that was the important one in that situation, and that's not an exaggeration. I've apologized <laughs> to many of my former co-teachers. Um, in fact, I can't believe one of them still speaks to me, but she does. And, and she'll know who she is when she hears this because we've talked about it before. Um, but I do see, maybe not to that extreme, but I do see lots of people get caught up in their title. Like, well, I'm not the lead, so that's not my job, or um, I'm the lead, I don't want to give this piece up. Have you seen that in your work, and how, maybe have you worked through it, if you see it? Yeah, well, I mean, I, so I was an infantile teacher for quite a while, and we used a, a co-teaching model. Neither one of us was really the quote-unquote lead. However, the woman I worked with had been working there for, what, 16 years? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so That's hard. That, that's for hard. anyone, I would think, yeah. yeah. Um, so there was a lot of kind of like figuring out, balancing, and it, it took the better part of a year uh-huh. um, to kind of get a, a good thing really going. But once it got going, um, it's amazing how much, once you get to really know someone and work with them, how little, like we, we could communicate across the classroom just uh-huh. by like looking at each other. Nice. And going back to that, <laughs> the children being part of the team, the children yeah. picked up on that. And they would sure. communicate with us kind of like the same way. So like you'd catch a child's eye from across the classroom and they'd give you like a little like eyebrow raise. You'd be like, oh, oh, oh you need that too. Okay, like That just made me a little teary. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, That's awesome. I just, you know, it's something I struggle with sometimes when I'm working with teachers more when I was a director than in my current work. But um, how do we get past those titles and really see that the adults can work as a team so that then they can accept and bring children in to the team too? And sometimes I think it's just a conversation because yeah. I think a lot of that is misunderstanding. You know, I'm not saying that someone who says I'm not a lead, so I'm not going to do that. I'm not saying they're lazy or unwilling. I'm saying they're just like they don't want to step on someone's toes, maybe. Or well, I mean, we're we're all individuals. We all yeah. have drastically different strengths, weaknesses, <laughs> abilities, likes, dislikes, methods of communication. Um, I, I've being an assistant director, I've worked with several teaching teams now that have had had issues, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes you can sit down and have a, a a meaningful, long conversation, get everyone, remind everyone kind of why we're all here, what we're all doing, <laughs> uh-huh. why we do what we do, and sometimes it works out still, but <laughs> every now and then people go, maybe maybe the two of you just don't belong together, right. but you know what, maybe right. we can switch something around and 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 I think it's okay to come to that conclusion. You know, maybe we just don't we don't have that complementary skill set that's going to make this work. You don't want to do that a lot because you want to have continuity for children, yes. and predictability for families and stuff. But sometimes that might be the answer. I think. Well, I mean, is a teaching team that doesn't work together being together inflicting more harm right. than separating them? Yeah, because even just that negative vibe, I think, can really affect a classroom. Yep. Um, even if there's not like open animosity and um, you know yelling at each other across the room or whatever, um, just that that constant tension, I think, can be um, yep. children, hard to spend your day. Children in. pick up on the positive; they pick up on the negative as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So next, I wanted to talk to the part of the talk about the part that says um, we need to believe children are capable. Um, what does what does that mean for you when you think about that? Well. Children are capable of whatever <laughs> they want to be capable of, like whatever they can 
there there is almost no limit beyond development mm-hmm. um, for what they are capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And so we need to make sure that what we're offering to them in our in an, in our environments in our teaching strategies is a plethora of <laughs> opportunities for them to pick up where they want to and do what they uh-huh. want and learn what they want yeah. um, because they're capable of learning anything that we we are. Yeah, infinitely more down. so. <laughs> You're right, exactly. Their brains are working in a totally different way than ours are, and they actually maybe have more options for where they go with one piece of information than we do. But um, So I, I always think about, because um, here's when I was a, a new director at the one of the centers I worked at, um, one of the ways I got to kind of know the staff was I would find some sort of loose part kind of thing, a box or some bubble wrap or some big strips of paper that had been used to pack something. Um, just whatever I could find, I would take it classroom to classroom and ask which teachers wanted it. <laughs> and I could gauge then, I could I learned which teachers saw children as capable because they wanted it immediately, and which teachers responded with all the terrible things the children would do with that piece of <laughs> that material that I had in my hand. So um, I think not all of us automatically see children as competent without a little bit of work. Yep. Um, so, I have a thought of doing that from that perspective. Well, yeah. You're welcome to take it on. It was pretty fun. They all know it. Like I, you know, I told them afterwards what I was doing, and they all thought it was fun. <laughs> so I, I totally do that. I just hadn't thought of using oh, it gauging. as a yeah as, as a gauge. Guess. Yeah, I don't know what a management book would say about that particular <laughs> tactic, um, but it worked for me <laughs> in the moment. Um, so what else? Oh, the next piece then is the one that I think oof, really got me. So we're believing that they're capable. We're also believing that they're deserving of skills and information. Um, and so I asked you why you felt like she needed to specify deserving, that they were deserving. Just because someone's capable of something does not mean that we also believe that a person is therefore deserving of it. Yeah. Um, and it's something we have to rem- remember and be reminded of, that every child is deserving of a childhood, high-quality right. childhood um, mm-hmm. that is both empowering and liberating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this isn't just everyone from at risk uh, or right. it, or Certain not economic it's status or yeah. Every single child, yeah. um, no matter where they come from, who they are, who their parents are, um, we have to remember to get over our own biases mm-hmm. you have to remember to be conscious or try to be conscious of what we're thinking why we're doing um i think i brought this or like thought of this example mm-hmm. in another part but it it, it speaks here too yeah. it's thinking about the red cross situation that happened recently where the Red Cross issued this swimming poster. Oh, right. Or, like, pool safety poster. Yeah. And... All the not-cool behaviors were brown children. All the all the not-cool behaviors yeah. were non-white children. Yeah. And all of yeah. the cool behaviors were white children. Yeah. And, um, I mean, that's the language they use. If you haven't seen this poster, yeah. that's the language of the poster. Cool and not cool. Someone... Approved that. Someone, <laughs> yeah, someone made it. Probably a couple people made it. Someone approved right. it. Someone marketed yeah. it. Someone printed it. 
with none of them realizing what they were doing. Yeah. Um, and we. It wasn't me. <laughs> wasn't me either. <laughs> but we have to. We have to think about what we're doing to make sure that yeah. things like that don't happen in our classroom. Right. Um, you know, I, I pick that word liberate very, very specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to make sure that we're helping raise a ch- generation of children who are liberated from a lot of the issues that have come before. Um, right. I think anyone who doesn't understand the the opportunities we have working with young children to create social justice needs to stop and do a little thinking about that. Uh, because because we can change the world in our work with these young children. Uh, we have to make the, the world a better not, place. And not just you and me. Yep. I mean, everybody, all of us doing the work. I saw um, Carol Brunson Day, the vice president of NACI at yeah. PDI. Um, I went to an amazing session on furthering anti-bias curriculum and education and uh-huh. And she she opened it with just, I mean, to quote her, a, a natural connection exists between early child education and social justice work. Yeah, we must work to produce the change that we want to see. Yeah. Um, and this might be a, a huge challenge for a, some people in our field. Yeah, um, it's uncomfortable for most of us it, to think about. It's it. uncomfortable. So yeah. the 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 minimum that we can do is just try to be aware of what we're doing in our classrooms. Right. Um, you know, it's as simple as trying to break down gender stereotypes. You know, yeah. Don't make the boys in the classroom carry the things. <laughs> don't make yeah. fun of a boy for putting on a dress. Right. Um, don't just yeah. tell children, oh, or like little girls, oh, you're so pretty. There was right. a, a great challenge that was issued, and it's not something that you just do all the time, but it's something just to be aware of from time to time. Mm-hmm. And at the, the beginning of the day, see how long you can go without complimenting a female in any way, shape, or form for her appearance. Uh-huh. Nice. How long can you go in a day without doing that? And some of them are just bursting five minutes in. Yep. Well, we think are about, really programmed for that. Yeah. Think about how, yeah. how do you greet the children that come into your classroom? Right. Do you tell all, like, oh, you're so pretty today. Yeah. To all the girls? Right. How do you greet all the boys? <laughs> it, it, be aware, be conscious of that whenever ever possible. Right. I think that's – and when we're talking about children deserving things in the context of anti-bias work, they deserve to be represented in the imagery of the classroom, mm-hmm. too. So making sure that we have um, good pictures, not just touristy posters that we got from the early childhood catalog, <laughs> but really good pictures of a good, diverse group of people around in our classrooms. And that could just be family pictures of the ones who are you know, in your program right now. Um, because invisibility is a thing that can be really um, uh, harmful for young children, uh, minority children, or um, uh, if they don't see themselves being represented. Setting up a, a welcoming and inclusive environment is, mm-hmm. is the baseline. Right. Right. That shouldn't be something that we're proud of doing extra. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> it should be the bare minimum. What we do. Yep. Yes, the bare minimum. Yeah. So um, let's see. Now we want to talk about power. This idea that we have power over skills and information. That was the that was the thing that really hit me. Like, even if that's just I don't like what you're doing with the scissors, so I'm putting all the scissors away today. That's real power over children. <laughs> Instead of you're struggling with these scissors, I'll sit next to you and we'll figure it out. <laughs> so I know you had a strong reaction to that too. Um, so I'm going to let you go on this for a minute. We have immense power over everything that happens in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we control the environment. We control the activities, the vocabulary, the flow of the day, the agenda. We control, we control our reactions. We control trying out yeah. loud. <laughs> um, and so quite often when I've seen children and teachers getting into it, getting in a fight or whatever, it's, it has to do with some form of power struggle. Power and struggle. so being conscious of how you're using your power, why you're using your power, um, how it relates to skills, how it relates to information we work on, um, mm -hmm. can can drastically change what you do in your classroom. When you are conscious of how you are using your power for good or for, I don't know, evil is not quite, yeah. <laughs> quite right, but... Not good. Yep. <laughs> Our power for good or not good. Yeah, I thought it was funny that you mentioned the the t-shirts that are so popular now. They're like, I teach young children what's your superpower. And I was like, well, you're exactly right. We could be on the the good side of that power or on the negative side of that power. Um, and it's so easy to slip unintentionally and with you know meaning to do well into habits that could be seen as um, holding power away from children um, you know even if it's just um, you're too tired to argue about what color cup they have at the table that day so you just make the decision and take them out of it um, well, and other simple things like if you give a child an option mm -hmm. and then you don't listen yeah. to them when they make a choice or it's a fake question. <laughs> or it's a fake question. Are you are you ready to go in? <laughs> yeah. No. If it's not a question, don't make it a question because you're giving power to the child, and then when you rip it away suddenly, um, it's a really weird thing to have done to a child. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, and just sort of a drag yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to go through go through days like that. Um, I think too. Um, they're just in, when you're talking about power struggles. It's very rare that an adult wins a power struggle with a child. It's always the. I mean, the adult almost always leaves feeling either frustrated or feeling badly about how they handled themselves during that power struggle, or um, feeling victimized by a three-year-old. <laughs> Um, so it's just best to, to give them power when it's appropriate, mm -hmm. and uh, then there are fewer, I really think, then there are fewer struggles for other things, because they've experienced a little bit of, yeah. of that power. We've given them a little bit of that. Find areas in your in your classroom where they can they can make their own choices, they can do their own things, and right. go from there. Right. Um, just, you know, even if it's something as simple as, you know, Lisa Murphy's recommendation that everything in your room 
if there's something that they shouldn't touch, don't have it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so then that's one less power struggle you have to have. They experience a lot of freedom and trust, and um, and it's it's really a gift of power to the children when we can set things up that way. Oh, very much so. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just I think power is something that that we all need to keep keep thinking about. So if you I'm springing this on you. I didn't give you any time to prepare for this one. This wasn't in the email. But if you had to say to, you know, someone's listening to this podcast and they want to rethink their, either their their vision of children as capable or deserving, whether they're a member of a team, whatever it might be, do you have a good first step that you would recommend? Be open-minded and accepting <laughs> of each child as an individual. Yeah. Before, I, here's something that I, I challenge some my teachers sometimes to like think about and just to be aware of is: Would you like to have someone talking the way to you're, you're talking to the child talking to you? Yeah. Um, would you like having someone do the things that you're doing to children to you? If the answer is not yes, <laughs> you should probably you doing? <laughs> reevaluate what you're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. A friend and I, she was the director of a center and I was one of the teachers. We used to talk about um, doing a staff meeting where she and I know what's going on, but no one else does. And we're going to talk to staff, say things to staff that we heard them saying to kids all day. Like walk in the room and be like, who stinks? And start just walking around <laughs> sniffing everybody and making them all sit perfectly still and stopping until everyone's quiet and all that stuff. But we decided that probably was more funny in theory than really in doing in a meeting. You know, grabbing their pants and checking it out in front of everybody. Sniffing their armpits. Totally that not was... something I could get away with. No. Oh, right. No, not you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're in a special, special class. I couldn't do that. Well, I don't think anyone could really get no. away with it. But it was funny to talk about. Um, and that, that's sort of what, it, what you're saying in a, a more humane way. <laughs> just to reflect, and if it's not something you would like to have said to you, um, probably not effective to say it to the children no. either. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, that that was great. That was great. I, I foresee more Margie Carter, Deb Curtis quotes <laughs> in the future. So, um, again, thank you. For, yeah, thank you for being on, Ben. This has been another episode of Cause and Effect. Thank you for joining us, and hope you'll tune in again. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production.